with the Rising Tides Charity as well as WD Consulting. We are so thrilled that today we're going to do something that we've been wanting to do for a period of time. I've invited our managing member of the WD Consulting Group, Mr. David Wilson. What's up, Dave? How are you? Yeah, what up? What up? <laughs> we, uh, we are going to talk about stocks today. And this was an idea that came about when we started to see that a lot of people are going out these days and getting involved in stocks, whether they're using new technology like Robinhood and other things. And Dave gave a presentation for another group that we were part of. And I was like, that is so, so incredible. He did such a fantastic job. And if you hear like a lot of politicians and a lot of people talk about wealth and how wealth is built these days, they talk a lot about stocks. And a lot of people in the community, in any community, however you define community, don't have access to that. Or they don't know how to start, or they don't know what it means, or they don't know how to figure this whole thing out. So I was like, this would be a great topic for us, especially as we start to continue to launch our consulting arm of what we do, to talk about how can people get involved. Because it's one way to create wealth. It's not the only way, but it's one way to do that. So I thought we would do that today and really kind of walk through this. So we're going to walk through a presentation. And so for those of you who are joining us or listening to us live, I'll obviously respond to that. But if you're listening to this afterwards and you have comments, about what we've talked about today, feel free to subscribe and link to what we're doing on the Rising Tides Charity as well as WD Consulting's YouTube page so we can help you out. At the end, you'll see a link in regards to uh, a way you can get involved. If you have questions, if you want to talk to us more directly, you'll see a link that you can paste into your browser and to hit us up directly and we will have a consultation with you for free. Um, so with that being said, Dave, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you so much. Um, let's get going if you're ready to get into it. Okay, yeah. And I just wanted to add to what you said. You know, um, as we do see that people are more interested into uh, investing, um, one of the questions that a lot of folks have, and sometimes they're not willing to actually say that they have that question is what what are they actually investing in when they talk about investing into a stock right everyone wants to do it everyone sees you know from from when you were a child you heard other people talk about it whether if you were invested if your family was investing or you know it was just something that was mentioned in tv right when you listen to donald trump talk about the stock market rising and you know and that you know things are going great what does that really mean so today of course in you know one hour we can't cover every single thing about stocks but this is kind of like at the bottom level of groundswell to try and give you an idea about you know what stock really is so you know if you've ever had that question if you've ever wondered this is where we're going to explore it, right um both me and Winston, we spent years in business. Um, we both have MBAs, um, but you know, those MBAs don't necessarily relate into you just having, you know, some of this general knowledge. That's not the reason why you know we just have this, right? I'm an educator, um, and I hope that you know you find this to be helpful. That's fantastic. I think you make a great, great key point here: is that once you know about stocks, then you got to go get some. Right. Yep. And you got to figure out what's the right way to do it. And you and I, we talk with lots of good friends a lot of times about what to invest in and how to do it. Because the market, which you'll find in part two and part three of these conversations, is that the market moves a lot. And there's a lot to learn even beyond this primer and this first conversation. So thank you for that kickoff on that. So we're going to go back and forth between um, the presentation here. And just kind of dialogue and at some points david I'll, I'll probably stop you and say hey let's talk a little bit more about this area or that area so that being said we're going to go ahead and kick us over into the kickoff here so your first slide here just really talks about what is stocks 101 and i think you gave a great foundation on that i don't know if you wanted to add anything to the just the foundation of it but i thought that was a great kickoff yeah, so so we can just move. Um, this, like what I said, this is ground level. Um, 
uh, nothing earth shattering. If if you're a heavy investor and you think that you understand what stocks in, you can still listen. Uh, you might find um, an interesting perspective uh, for when you're speaking to other people that need to be in the know, right? So this is this is a little bit of a knowledge share, if anything. That's fantastic. So we're going to move on to the next slide here. Okay. So when we look at company structure, right, we're going to talk about there are two ways for a stock, well, well, for a company itself to um, exist, for it to raise funds and for it to manage itself, right? So one is equity, right? So equity is considered to be stock, right? You actually have ownership stake, right? And this happens whether or not if a company is a sole proprietor or if they are, you know, a Fortune 500 company, right? And then the other side of it is that you have debts, bonds, loans, you know, long-term, short-term debt, right? So the, the, the whole stake of it says that if I have debt, if I owe money, um, I take out a loan so that I can buy a storefront, so, so that I can buy equipment for my storefront. The equipment that I buy for my storefront, that's actually going to be considered an asset, right? It doesn't really contribute to the actual equity. And we'll get into this, right? Equity is going to be um, what you've actually come out of your pocket to invest in the, in, in the company. And then also whatever kind of assets are accumulated strictly by the company itself right so we'll go we'll go further into it so that there'll be greater clarity as far as this but the but the company structure is that either you're go, you're going to have equity and you're going to have debt right um and those are those are the two lines that really sit in there and you know on the other side of equity and debt you have assets and the assets will add up to that equity and debt right yeah thank you yeah i think that's fantastic uh, isn't there a, a piece of it when you think about that structure around how much cash especially with a mature company that they've got on hand um, and how they are using that cash i think sometimes that's something that's talked about or sometimes it's not talked about that much but i know when you listen to lots of earnings from different companies there's a lot of a lot of publicity about what well, how much cash does someone have on hand how much does apple have in cash so right. so, so the cash structure cash actually contributes to this right but cash is more or less looked at as an asset right and it would fall under the line of equity stake right so if a company is holding a lot of cash that means that they have more assets that they can use in order to grow their company without having to go to the debt market and saying like okay i'm going to borrow money right they also have um they also won't need to go and raise funds through creating new equity right so that's saying that the company itself they're viable a lot of times if they have cash, but depending on industry, depending on what the company does, um, the company will need to pay attention to how much cash it has, right? So if 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 I operate in certain industries, me having cash may make me um not as efficient as I should be, right? And, you know, certain certain company structures are going to say having a lot of debt on your books is going to be important. Right. So if you're if you're looking to open up a company or if you're looking to invest in a company, it's always good to know what the rest of the industry is doing. Right. And it's not so much that you follow along with what the industry is doing just because they're doing it, because maybe the industry is wrong. But for you to know what they're doing and know how you're moving within that. Right. Isn't it philosophically sometimes that. When you see companies that get at least initial amount of debt in their structure, that they're investing that debt in something, they're investing it in growth or or some kind of plan, long term plan that makes the market go well. You know, they're using their debt appropriately to actually grow and to invest, whether it's in R and D or in plants or products or whatever it is. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, and 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 there's also the side that would say if you're sitting on a boatload of cash that the company isn't using it cash efficiently 
and that you know the cash is just sitting there doing nothing, right? You should be you should be doing all of those things that you just said. You should be buying, you know, in, investing in research and development, looking to make an acquisition, looking to do something with that cash rather than just letting it sit there, right? And you know, one of the things when I used to do financial education is that I always told people to manage your your own personal finances like it was a company. And when we say manage, when I say manage your own, you know, personal finances like a company, when you look at your cash that's on hand, that's one of those things that you want to do, right? So if you're holding a whole bunch of credit card debt and high interest debt, but you have a boatload of cash, you know, sitting in sitting in the dresser, you know, you may be better off paying off some of that high interest debt that you have with that cash. Right. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the fact that you brought in the personal aspect to it because that is a, a key way that anyone that's out there can relate. I think most people at some point do need to get some kind of debt for something, whether it's student loans or something along that line. It's just really how you manage it um, and how do you how do you maximize it? Because if you do it the right way, you can you can get stuff done as well and you can make sure you don't impede your own personal credit. Yep. So I'm going to move on to the next slide here, if you're okay with that. Okay, so here we say, where do we commonly see this structure, right? The structure of equity and debt, right? So most people are familiar with, you know, a house, right? Um, and we know that when you go to buy a house, Normally, in most in, in, in most instances, they want you to do a down payment, right? That down payment that you do in that house is immediately contributing towards you having an equity stake within the house, right? The mortgage that you take on, that is your debt, right? You owe, you have this loan that's for 15 years, 30 years. As you make your mortgage payment every month, you're going to pay a portion of that towards the principal, which is going towards your equity. And then you're going to pay a portion of that, which is going strictly to interest, right? That hurts, right? Because you're paying a whole bunch of money that just goes to interest and in the bank that decided to finance you being able to purchase this house. So once again, if you had the cash, you know, cash is king. You buy a house with cash, you don't pay interest. Um, and then we see car purchases, right? You go and you buy a car. Um, a lot of people finance their cars when they do buy them. The portion that you give as a down down payment, the portion that you um, are paying monthly when you can when you own the car outrightly, that asset still holds value, right? So I know that you know there are the people, the Kawasaki's that are out there, and all these other folks that will tell you to have this other this other way of looking at it to say that the car itself is just a debt, no matter what. Listen. This is finance, and finance is just going to say that if you own something that has value, it's considered to be an asset, right? And you can contribute, you, you can gain equity within that asset. Similar to cell phones nowadays, if you go and buy a cell phone, a lot of times you buy a cell phone on, on, a, on a plan, they want you to pay monthly. There's some trickery in that, right? Porsche, or part of the reason why cell phone companies want to do that is because this is going to be able to give them a regular stream of income that continuously comes in and you're going to be more apt to upgrade to the next version and then also when they got rid of all those subsidies that they used to provide this was a way for them to say like oh look it's really not that expensive for you to buy this you know two thousand dollar this two two thousand dollar phone um and then the final portion of that is companies right i remember the subsidies yeah i remember those quite well yeah. So, you know, cell phones first came out. The best cell phone that, you know, was available, you could get for a penny if I just signed this two year contract, which is great. I'm always going to upgrade. I'm, I'll stay with AT&T for the rest of my life. Right. But now I have to, like, search around to find a deal and switch companies if, if, if I really want to be aggressive with that. But then the final part is going to be companies. Right. So you're going to look in you and say, Companies are actually using that same structure, right? It just gets a little bit more involved. They do things that are um, a little more advanced than what 
the regular person would do when they're just going to buy a house because the company's going to buy a house. They're going to buy equipment. They're going to pay employees. They're going to have all of these other things that they have to do that you as a regular household, you may not need to do. Right. That is awesome. So let's keep going. So when we, when we look at its common associations, right? So how is this equity really accumulated? You know, one of the things that I said was a down payment, right? So a down payment is normally considered to be that initial investment. If I'm opening up a company um, and I got and I want to open up a cupcake shop and I decide that I'm going to open up this cupcake shop and I'm going to have to, you know, get a website developed because I need to have a web presence and I put 20000 towards that and I need to buy some equipment so that I can start making my um, cupcakes. And then I got to buy this whole batch of batter and stuff. So that all of these are expenses that if I'm coming straight out of, you know, that I'm coming straight out of my pocket in order to pay, I'm making an investment into the future earnings that we're going to make in this company. Right. So this is my initial investment. And this initial investment gives me an equity stake within this company. Right. So if someone else was to come later and we'll get into those other things, if someone else was to come later and we wanted to talk about how can we distribute that, 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 that the, 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 the amount of the company. If you ever watch Shark Tank and you see that, you know, the sharks on Shark Tank, they always want an equity stake. That's they right. want an equity stake because they're saying like, OK, we want a piece of the pie. Right. We want to know what's going on uh, and we want to be able to own some of that actual value. Right. Don't, and don't you um, on those things when someone comes in and they might have a good idea. But then when they ask them who's got a stake and the person will say, well, it's 10 guys or 10 people involved with the stake. And yep. good ideas don't make it because it's so fractured at that point. Yep. Yep. So, you know, this is where we get into, you know, the other ways that equity is accumulated. Right. So. Purchase of assets, right? So I said, you may go out and you may say like, okay, you have to go and buy some, uh, you may have to go and buy that, that, that new oven, right? So when you buy that new oven, that is considered a way for equity to be accumulated, right? Or, you know, you may not have the money to buy that new oven. So you may get, get it gifted to you from someone that wants an equity stake, right? Software that's purchased for you to be able to do things that you need to do. So software can, you know, has a relation to that website. But, you know, maybe for your cupcake company, you're going to say that you need to have, you know, some type of accounting software. You know, you need to be able to manage uh, what's going in and what's coming out. Right. So you want to be able to track, you know, um, your workflow. Right. Services. Right. You may need someone to come in and write a business plan from you for I mean, for you, you may need to, you know, get someone to be, you know, a legal person that you could turn to to uh, get advice from when you're going to these people. You may not have cash. Right. If you don't have cash, what you do have is a company that you're creating or that you've already created, that you have that initial investment in and that you can offer some equity. To, right when they have that equity in your company then they can do something right skills that add value to your trade right this could be a baker that you hire you want to open up a cupcake shop but you don't know how to make cupcakes right maybe you need to find somebody that knows how to make cupcakes that you can partner with that really knows that really knows the trade right or maybe you do know how to make them but you don't know how to make them great you want someone that's really efficient and you don't have the money right so if you have cash on hand a lot of times Maybe you don't have to give up equity, but you can, right? And then the final one, which is very important, is going to be that intellectual property, right? So you're making cupcakes. Why do I buy cupcakes from you and I don't buy cupcakes from Hostess, right? What what makes you special and makes your make makes your cupcakes, you know, sp you know, the thing to go to, right? So it's not just that intellectual property is always me getting a copyright and me getting a patent. Sometimes intellectual property is going to be just your special sauce, right? What is it that your company does? What are those trade secrets? What are those things that you're able to do that you can say I keep over here and I'm never going to tell anyone about it because if I do, they can probably replicate this and do it themselves. You know, the thing I love about what you've been sharing with the audience here so far 
is it's not only about just the companies or or about just how the structure looks like, but it's really giving everyone a sense as to when you think about their own business, because quite frankly, everybody in the in the United States should have their own business yep. of some kind. And so how do you start that? How do you structure it? A lot of the things you shared, technolo technology has had an impact on some of those things. So whether it's software or technology or skills, there are ways to learn things faster than it, it's ever been. Um, yep. And there's other ways to get technology quickly, like this call we're having now would probably be very challenging to have in 2010. For example. <laughs> we're not having it. <laughs> very tough. The, the technology that was necessary to, to do all of this stuff was in yeah. the very beginning stages back then. So, yeah. yeah, I, I could have came out to Atlanta and we could be uh, sitting in the same room, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Camera, right. <laughs> you know the color, the lighting, the sound, all of that would have been yeah. really, really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you move on here, so when you think about the next piece, let's walk through this. So when we when we really think about that equity or that stock, right? What what is it? What does it really contribute to? Right? It contributes to us being able to value you know, what this company is actually worth, right? So I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, okay, look, I've accumulated my, I've accumulated my oven. I've got a great baker. I've got, um, you know, uh, the software, um, we're, we're pumping out, you know, a hundred cupcakes a day and we're selling 80 of those cupcakes. So I know what kind of income I'm actually bringing in. And what that's really going to tell me is how can I actually value my company, right? So if I have assets, right, and I, I've built up this equity, right, and I'm able to say that there's, there, there's this equity that exists within the company and that we have assets and that we're actually making money, now I'm talking about valuing my company outside of the frame of just um, me, me just throwing a, you know, throw, 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 throwing a penny in the ocean and saying like, okay, this is how much we're worth. I'm able to sit there and say like, okay, if we're bringing in a hundred dollars a week. Those hundred, that hundred dollars over a week for a year is going to contribute to, you know, the three, $3,650, whatever. I, I don't know. I'm not going to do the math in my mind because I'm going to go off, but you're going to be able to say, this is the number where we sit. Now, when we when you do that valuation and you're able to sit there and say like this, this is where we sit. This is how much we um, are really worth. This is where when you start saying I'm going to distribute equity. Right. So we need to bring on a new person. And I'm thinking about what kind of equity can I give them rather than give them cash? I'm able to set a value to that equity that I'm giving them. Right. So instead of me saying. Um, yeah, you know, you come on, you know, I give you 25% and I don't know what that 25% is, right? I'm able to actually look there and say, okay, my company is valued at, I've set a low value. My company is valued at $20,000. If you come in, you perform this particular service for me, I'm going to give you 5% of that. And then we can do the calculation of what 5% of that 20,000 is. And then the person can say, okay, I think that's worth my time that's worth my effort i may come on going back to that right. conversation we had earlier about wealth one of the things that i've noticed in my own career is that some groups of people get access to that conversation you just outlined and yep. the equity and how does that look and for many of us myself included it's something that you had to kind of interject yourself in or glean from somewhere else where it wasn't like the first conversation. And so yep. when you think about time and time goes on, our wealth, we're coming from a different starting point with the accumulating wealth. So for those of you who are out there and you're thinking about either joining a business, starting a business or crafting it, you really want to consider the words that Dave has shared, that there's more than one way for us to grow uh, even beyond just the business, just the regular business services and products, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that I, I would say, you know, if I talk to, you know, 10 small businesses, none of those small businesses are going to say that they want a loan. Right. And I'm going to say, what do you want a loan for? And then they're going to come up with a million big ideas on why they need a loan versus 
figuring out a way for them to capitalize off of their network and use their people that they have that are around them in order to build those same things. Yeah, I think that that is such an important key thing to think about. Because you're right, I, I'm running that same thing where someone's like, hey, can you make a business plan for me? And then I ask, well, what's the business about? And it's, some, it's a good idea, generally. It's a grandiose idea about doing something. And then you say, so what's the skills? What's the team? What's the valuation of what you're trying to do? And um, they struggle with that. And what's the overall vision? And I think vision has been, has been kind of bastardized a little bit, where vision has gone to, from what it should be to this kind of motto. So my motto is that we're dope. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a real particular vision. And that's not mm -hmm. a real vision. Yeah. So we can go to the next slide. So this is this whole thing that I was kind of talk about, talking about, right? How is that equity really distributed within a company, right? So we're going to say, I go, I contribute $100 to this company being started to purchase some supplies. I'm not looking for a repayment, right? So that's an important part of equity, especially when we're talking about, when we're talking about small companies or when we're talking about actually investing in a company, right? It's not a loan. Right. I'm investing in equity because I'm saying that I believe in the future of this company. Therefore, I want a piece of the pot. Right. So this company's total valuation of this is one thousand dollars. So if I have a 10 10 percent stake in the company and the company has a thousand shares, I get one thousand shares. Right. So when I get that 1,000 shares, those shares are mine, right? So if we're talking about a small company, a lot of times those 1,000 shares are going to say, like, as the company grows and as the company begins to flourish, at some point in time, I may be able to liquidate those shares in some kind of way. But there's no ready market that's out there for me to liquidate those shares, right? Me liquidating those shares may have to come in the form of me trying to sell back to somebody that's interested in this particular company. Right, but we'll get a little bit more into that shortly. I think it's important to kind of walk people through that again. You did a great job in it, but it's such an important key around how does that look as far as the equity distribution. And so I know I'm asking you to do it again, but I know it's just it's just a key thing that I think a lot of people miss. Okay. All right. So uh, to put it in maybe little different words, right? Um, it's it's really going to be that if you invest within a company, right? So remember, we spoke about this valuation piece before, right? So there's a valuation piece where the company is going to be valued at something, right? The valuation of that company, when they decide that they want to have additional investors can be split right so we can split that ownership into all of these different pieces and these pieces this is why it's called shares right shares or you know because shares is kind of like a part of ownership right if you have one share you you own the company right but you don't own the company you own a part of the company one share and that one share is only worth what that one share is right so if it, if 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 you have a thousand shares that share is worth worth one thousandth of the value of the company right so the more shares that you accumulate within that particular company the more ownership stake that you have right so if instead of having one share you say you had one share you decided that you wanted to get another 99 shares so you had 100 of the 1,000 shares, now you have 10% of ownership stake in the company versus before you had 1% ownership stake, right? And when we talk about equity distribution, we're going to say that you as, you know, if, if a company is being set up, 
who makes these decisions? Who decides who gets the equity? Who 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 gets you know ten percent versus one percent versus you know twenty percent? So if I'm a small shop and I'm deciding that I'm going to open up a company and I'm going to incorporate, and I actually do go through the steps of having a board of directors, which a lot of small companies won't do, um, but I actually go through the steps of having a board of directors. The board of directors would be the people that are supposed to help me make this decision. Who should I really? be using who should i how much should i be really giving to someone for whatever particular services that it is that they're offering or if i don't have that board of directors it, it ends up being me it ends up being the person who has the majority stake within the company yeah. so if i have a 100 stake in the company i can make that decision if me and, and winston if we have 50 50 stake in the company I can't just decide like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go and bring in, you know, this, this new guy off of the street and I'm going to give him 25%. I could give him 25% of my ownership potentially, but the, 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 the conversation should still happen with, you know, my other owners, right? They should still be in the know, but I could sell out to someone, but that's, that's opening up a whole nother can of worms that we could discuss in its own separate little call where we start talking about, you know, um, the inner workings of companies and how they have to deal with crazy situations like that. That is awesome. So thanks for sharing that again. I just think it's such an important factor for people to understand. All right. So, so this slide is where we're talking about a public company, right? So everyone thinks about public companies whenever they hear about stocks, right? You don't so much think about, you know, the small mom and pop shop, right? So, well, you don't think, you know, that Dell is really not a public company, right? Or that, you know, there are some of these huge conglomerates that are out there that are still owned by the family and they never go on public, right? But what is, what is, what is a public company? How, how does this happen? Why do company, why do, why do they do this, right? So in order for you to become a public company, right, you're going to have to do go through the process of what's called an IPO, right? So you're initial you're doing an initial public offering, right? This initial public offering comes in the form of me issuing some company stock, right? Um I issued a stock. The process of doing this is not like you don't just do this overnight, right? Because you have to find an exchange that you're going to be able to be listed on. You're going to have to, you know, have all of these bankers and stuff do what we were just talking about, right? Value the company. But it's no it's no longer, you know, me being able to sit at an Excel spreadsheet and be like, okay, yeah, this is what I think that we're worth. You know, this is going to go through the regulators. This is going to go through a lot of red tape in order for you to be able to say, okay, I'm actually issuing this piece of stock, right? Then once I issue the stock, it's going to be on what's called a secondary market, right? So when I initially offer the stock, I, I issue the stock because I want to raise funds, right? And I want to raise funds so that my company can grow. As I said before, there are really two kinds of ways for a company to be structured and for them to really think about their growth. So either you're going to be issuing debt or you're going to be borrowing, right? So if you're going to be borrowing, you're not going to issue stock. You're not going to issue uh, stock. You're going to be thinking about bonds or you know getting loans from people, blah blah blah. But in this case, we're saying we really want to grow, right? What's the downside? So we know the upside, right? Where you get to raise funds from the IPO. What's the reason why? Because there's been some obviously some pretty large companies that have resisted going public what would be a downside of doing that in your view a downside of going public yeah uh one of the downsides of going public is you know that you can potentially lose ownership right you another downside is going to be that um the infant it, it there is there are a lot of reporting requirements right so you don't just go from like quarterly. huh like quarterly reports and all of that. Yeah, there are quarterly reports, there are annual reports, there are other small filings that you have to make sure that you do, right? Also, you know, a lot of information on the on the company itself becomes public knowledge, right? And you also can't control ownership, right? 
you can't say like, all right, I don't want so-and-so to go and purchase shares of my company. You can't lock someone out of purchasing those particular shares of your company. So like when people watch these TV shows like Billions or Successions and there's these hostile takeovers where somebody goes in and says, we're going to buy up X amount of block of shares so we own the company. That's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, you're subject to potential situations like that. Um, you're also subject to situations where, you know, you know, you, you, you have certain people that will come into your company and they may want to just control you with not having a majority stake, but having a small, a small stake. Right. So they're, they're what we call advocates that will be like, all right, this is what we think you should do. And you're also subject to your shareholders. Right. So. If you were like, let's say, for instance, you created a company and your vision was that you wanted to help save the world. Right. And you said, all right, I want to go public. When you go public, <laughs> you're going to want to help save the world, but the shareholders are going to want to help, you know, grow their pockets. Okay. So you may have to manage that vision of helping to save the world with, you know, helping those shareholders to grow their pockets. Right. Um but, you know, some other important things uh, that you want to know is that when you do go public, right, that's that share price that's set at the IPO. So I, I think that one of the important things that we want to know here is that a lot of times people get excited when they hear that there's going to be an initial public offering. Oh, yeah. Did you hear what that stock did when it went, you know, public? It went from, you know, $10 to $80 in that one day. What happens when a company does that? That means that if, if, if you issue a stock at $10 and on that same day it goes to $80, that means that that company just lost, lost out on $70 a share. Get it? Because the company only gets the $10 from the initial public offering. That's, right. That's all they get. Right? So if the company goes Zoom and Rockets, as soon as it has an IPO, that means that the underwriters and all of these people that did all this work to value the company, they, priced it they dropped the ball. <laughs> they priced it wrong, right? They priced it wrong. The market is saying something different. So this is also one of those things where we go and we start talking about the market and the market efficiencies, right? So and then when you, we look at the stock market. Reaction in that scenario too, right? So if it goes from 10 to 80. Usually it doesn't hold at 80, right? Because there's some reaction to that number. A lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it goes 10 to 80, and then it may retreat back to 40, right? But even if it retreats back to 40, there was still this $30 that was missing. That was lost, right? So, so you know, and, and as what you were saying, right? This is the whole, what I was getting into was like the whole idea of market efficiencies, right? So we're cons the reason why the stock market exists and the reason why the stock market is what it is today is because we hope that all information is being priced into uh, the price of a particular public company, right? So the price of Ford isn't the price of Ford just because it's the price of Ford. It's because all of this information is always being shared amongst all of the investors and all of the investors are able to come and say like, okay, that looks like a good price. This is a price that I'm willing to purchase it at. I don't think that this price is the right price. I think this company is about to fall. I need to sell and get out of this, right? And then so the excitement that happens, right? So for example, mm -hmm. then there's a certain level of excitement that happens with certain announcements that occur, right? So whether it's Tesla yep. or like the other day, I got excited when I saw this video for this new Hummer EV. I tell you, mm -hmm. I nearly fell out of my chair. And then in the back <laughs> of my mind, I'm saying, myself, I can't afford that. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, this is like the most awesome thing there. And then I looked at my little small GM amounts, which GM has, you know, it's a pretty uh, affordable stock. And, and it, it reacted pretty positively to that. Yeah. So when there's positive information, it reacts positively. Negative information reacts negatively. In today's market, it just reacts, right? We, we don't know why it's reacting, you know? So it, it's one of those things where the economists would say these are still just the forces of the market right but then to complicate matters is that now there's so much technology that it's not even always that 
trades are happening based on the information of the company itself. A lot of trades are being made based on the trend lines of companies, right? So what has that company actually done in the market for this particular second, right? Some smart guys out there creating an algorithm to say we can trade really fast on movements of the market. And there are a lot of people that you'll find online that are creating all of these, you know, this is the way that you invest, follow my way of investing and you're going to become a millionaire. And, you know, I, I don't really believe in it. I got a finance degree, blah, blah, blah. So understanding the market says, like, if you come up with something like that, more than likely, there are going to be some really bad days that are going to make you say, like, dad, I wish I never would have tried the strategy. But maybe they do work. I don't know. But I wouldn't put my money in them. Um, some subsequent conversations for those of us who joined the WD Consulting channel. I think we can really talk about how people can think about things like ETF, which are like combinations of different stocks and companies that are out there. Because um, I know that's something you and I talk about a lot to really help them to mitigate and to grow. Because in this time, we're talking to everyone here today, a few weeks before the election of 2020, um, the stock market is obviously doing well, but it's doing well uh, kind of despite everything else that's going on. And at some point, we can really talk about how the forces, because quite frankly, I think our monetary policy people are doing a good job as far as managing that and handling that kind of thing. Um, I wanted to move to what you've got here in regards to the characteristics, because I think this is pretty awesome. So characteristics of a public stock you've got here. Right. Yeah. So characteristics of a public stock, right? They're bought and they're sold on a stock exchange, right? So that's that secondary market that I was talking about, right? So when you go and buy stock, uh, generally, you're just buying stock from someone else, right? It's like the secondary market of buying a car, right? You go and buy a used car. The difference is that used car doesn't really increase in value, right? When, you, when you're buying stock <laughs> on the secondary mar market, generally, you're hoping that the company is going to be doing better and that they will rise, right? When you buy that share and you have this ownership in the company, it gives you certain things, right? It gives you not just ownership in the company and a, and a chance to um, participate in the growth of the company um, and, and the appreciation of uh, value of the company, but you also get voting rights. Right. And these voting rights are going to allow for you to annually be able to participate in the board meeting that happens. Right. The annual board meeting that happens and you'll be able to send in a proxy statement or you'll be able to attend yourself in non COVID days. <clears throat> and you'll be able to vote and say, like, OK, I think this person should be on the board or this person shouldn't. Now, of course, with proxy voting, it's a democracy thing. So if you have one share, you're vote counts as one share right <laughs> if you have a million shares of a company that has you know a hundred million shares your vote still only counts as a million shares of those hundred million shares so you have a greater impact with all of your votes right i don't want to make this impression like i, I got a bunch of stocks all over the place but i i do think that that's fascinating when you see those proxies and those those votes that come in the one thing I do like and love about stocks, and I, I, you know, maybe this is me and you, and and hopefully other people who are getting to this will feel the same way, is I love earnings reports. I love listening to the calls. Yep. I love the questions from the institutional investors that exist out there. I love that because to me, it not only does to back to you, I think your point you made earlier, it not just tells me what's happening now, but it tells me like what's the future. Like what? What's the plans for the future? Or what's their thoughts? Especially in COVID days, right? There's you gotta react. Yep. You gotta be very dynamic and react a certain way in COVID days. You just can't be doing things like you did in 2018. It just don't work that way. Yep. <clears throat> so you know because because of um you know better technology, uh, there was a day where whenever you owned a stock. You wouldn't just receive a proxy, but you would receive an entire annual report delivered to your house, delivered to your physical address. And annual reports generally are, we could say on the small size, it would be 90 pages. On the big side, it could be like 400, 500 pages, right? But all of these pages are really speaking about what is the company, right? 
What's their mission? What have they really done in the last year? What do they plan on doing um, in the next year? Why did they do good? Why did they do bad? Right. And this is management really pleading with all of this, with all of their owners to say what happened. Now, these annual reports are still available and you can find them on any company's public website. Right. Yeah. So if you're a public company, you are required by law to have your annual report available on your website. Right. Some important parts of that annual report that you may want to focus on will be the management discussion. Right. I love and the part. description of the business. That's the best part right? to me. Just what are their view on things? Yeah. And, you know, because you'll find that you may agree with management or you may disagree with management. And sometimes that can be a driver on to whether or not if you think you should continue to invest in a company or if you shouldn't. You know, the, the, the ex-CEO of Ford, <clears throat> I thought that he had the greatest forward-thinking vision when he thought that Ford should not be in the business of selling cars anymore and that they should be in the business of creating a rideshare um, environment where folks would buy into this whole idea that we're purchasing a piece of Ford and I can just go and pick up a car and drive it and then just drop it off at any location and other Ford people would be able to pick up and drive it, right? It was like a crazy, amazing thought, right? That could have really just changed the world, and then they got rid of them. I guess, and then we saw their leaders that are like that. So maybe you know, it's part of the things that we do here at WD Consulting Groups is that we obviously talk about financing, but we also talk about leadership development. So when you're looking at those kind of organizations, to me, before I decide to buy something, I really think about the leadership. Yep. I really think about the future. I just don't say, well, they're moving up or down, or or some cool thing that I'd like to get involved in. I was like, no, who is in charge? Yep. And what do they think? That's what, right. right? Because they can have the smartest guy in charge, but if he's thinking something that just doesn't seem like it makes makes sense for the company, you know. But let's let's move forward, right? So the other part is going to be uh, that the board can decide to issue a dividend, right? This dividend, you've probably heard of it. If you play Monopoly, you get dividends, right? These dividends are basically a portion of the earnings, right? So the companies had a great year. They decided they want to issue a dividend. And generally, they don't just decide that one year, right? We don't just, they don't, a company won't just say, all right, we're going to issue dividends this year and we're never going to issue dividends again. There is a such thing as a special dividend that sometimes they may do. That's done like on a one-time basis. But generally, if we're talking about a dividend, the company is saying we're healthy. You know, we may be a little bit past like our super growth phase and we want to instill some type of dividend. Right. And this is us giving money back to our shareholders. Right. When I give this money back to the shareholders. Is it like. There's no effect on the stock. Yes, there is. Right. So the stock goes down exactly by that dividend amount. Right. So if it's a 2% dividend, the stock will go down by 2% the next day. But no one ever complains about that because you can just reinvest it right back into the company. Right. Or you can take the money and it can be like your little cash that sits on the side that you use to invest in other things or that you use to go and buy like, I don't know, some candy or something from Amazon or. You've got a good got good advice you could use that dividend to grow your own portfolio in a good way exactly and then the last part which is the most important part of uh investing in a public company is that you have limited equity i mean i mean the limited liability right and that limited liability is really saying the only thing that you can lose is whatever you invested in the company right you don't have to worry about, you know, someone slipping and falling at the company and someone saying they're going to sue the company for $10 million and them coming after your assets. It's never going to happen. If you own your own company, you may have to worry about that, right? But that's never going to happen to you in a situation where you're just investing in public stock, right? The company itself is its own entity and you just own a little part of that entity that exists, right? So... So more about dividends. As I said, where does it come from? Right. So a company every year is going to make or lose money. 
right? So when they go and they look at their net income line, if they have made money, right? So their revenue minus expenses and taxes and all that other stuff actually contributes to them making money. They have a decision to make. What do we want to do with the money that we made, right? There's a thing that's called retained earnings, and then there's dividends, right? Retained earnings means that the, the company's going to keep that money. It goes into their cash bucket, right? And when it goes into that cash bucket, as what me and Winston were talking about, like earlier, or like in the beginning, they have to make a decision. What do they do with this cash, right? Do they sit on the cash? Do they invest it in, you know, property? Uh, do they invest it in property? Do they invest it in um, uh, new, uh, new, new machinery? Do they invest it in, you know, acquiring another business, new employees, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. It goes on in advertising, whatever they're going to decide to do with that cash that's in the retained earnings bucket. But the dividends bucket is going to be what they're going to pay back to shareholders. Now, generally, if I instill, and I, and I was leading to this before, generally, if, they, if a company instills a dividend, they don't want to back down from that dividend, right? So if I say I'm going to pay $0.05 cent, you know, quarterly, because dividends are generally paid out quarterly, I'm going to pay out $0.05 cent quarterly for the next, you know, we're going to do a $0.05 cent quarterly dividend. I don't want to come, you know, five years from now and be like, all right, we got to get rid of that $0.05 cent dividend. The reason why I don't want to do that is because I'm signaling to the market. I'm telling the market that we can't afford to pay our shareholders, yeah. right? And if I'm signaling to the market that we can't afford to pay our shareholders, we're going to have um, negative, uh, negative, uh, negative outcome from that. Yeah. Hmm? There's gonna be never negative reaction to that, right? Yep. So when we look at the public company stock price, right, as I said earlier, right, the market is what's going to determine that value of the company, right? It's going to be based off of all the information that's available, all right? We said before, public companies, they have to report their information quarterly, right? So they're reporting performance, they're reporting um, anything that's happened, negative, positive, et cetera, right? public company is going to have uh, all of the media and uh, online social media. Anything that happens with that company is going to be priced into that stock, right? So if the CEO of a company goes and decides to like write like some racist rant on, 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 on Facebook, the company is going to be penalized for that, right? And we don't want the company to be penalized for that, but it, but it happens. Yeah, we see that a lot these days, or more than we used to. When you think about those people who are involved in these situations where they're doing something they're not supposed to, whether it's yep. media or they're involved in some kind of harassment situation, all of those things have a real effect, especially in those companies where the CEO is like has such a an effect on the leadership of the company. When you think about yeah. some of these kind of companies where when that CEO is gone, the company is not the same because they have such a presence. Yeah. If, if something, if Elon Musk was to do something crazy right now, Tesla would be like destroyed, right? Because Elon Musk is that's, he's probably just as well known as Tesla is, right? So, yeah, he, so that's, yeah, yeah he's Tesla. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's succession planning. Like Steve Jobs, I think, did a pretty good job years ago, no pun intended where you started to see Tim Cook even before Tim Cook became the CEO. Um, but yep. I, I don't think you see that same thing with Tesla and some other companies. No, not yet. Right. So then the other place where they're going to get information from is going to be analysts, right? So analysts are going to be providing tons of information. So every investment bank that's out there, every regular bank that's out there, they're going to have analysts that are sitting there and they're, they're, their core their core job is to really look into companies and see if the company is doing what they say they're going to be doing. Can they achieve what they're saying that they can do? Does the is the company really viable? Right? Does it make sense? Right? And then you're going to have industry reports and things that come from specialists. Right? So industry reports sometimes are coming from you know consultant firms that are out there. Uh, they're coming from 
uh, industry publications that are out there. Sometimes they're even coming from, you know, the academic ac academia, right? So there are colleges that are out there and they just do research, right? And they do research in the companies and they're saying like, okay, this is where the industry should be. This is how the industry should move, right? And sometimes they do specific focuses on companies themselves. When all of this information is made public, it gets priced right into the price. This is the reason why if you get a tip from somebody that works at um, works at a public company and they have information that the rest of the public doesn't have, you go to jail for it, right? You go to jail for it because right now you know something that the rest of the world doesn't know and you can profit off of it, right? So Martha Stewart had to spend time in jail for insider trading and she was worth so much money and the trade that you know, she got in trouble for was worth, you know, something that might be important to me, but definitely wasn't important to her, right? You know, it's so interesting because you think about, you know, we're a week or so away from an election, and there have been so many congresspeople who knew about the, the deadliness of the virus back in January and February. Mm -hmm. and then there was a lot of information shared that some of them dump stocks so whether it was in casino stocks or hospitality stocks and then they bought a bunch of vaccine makers before they even knew how deadly it was and then they get on tv and say ah this virus is not a thing mm -hmm. um, i i know there's not a i haven't heard of any specific ramifications for these people for doing it but there should be because there should be because that was that was tough and they made in every, in every case i heard of those people made millions and millions of dollars and they, and they obviously hurt some of those other companies, those casinos, those hospitality people. I mean, this, this is one of those things like where you get into the whole idea of, you know, white collar crime versus, you know, regular crime. Right. And you say that, you know, these companies that do or these people that do these nefarious acts a lot of times aren't penalized for the amount of pain that they've caused. Right. You know, when we go back to the dot com boom or dot com crash, which was more important. Right. And you saw companies like Enron and MCI and you saw how horrible the actions of their CEOs were, where it was important that regulations were put in to say, like, OK, we need to watch what the management of these companies are doing greater. Right. Then we get situations where. Some folks are like, regulation, that's just not good. We don't need regulation. Get rid of regulation. But without regulation, how can we police those people, right? So it's kind of like they're the people. A lot of times the, the problem is that these com this comes from people that are in power, right? So people that are in power are like, yeah, don't watch us. We don't want to be watched. So it would be similar to the crack dealer being able to say, like, you know what? I actually have power to say, like, yo, we need to decriminalize crack, right? They can't, they don't have that power, so they can't do that. But we see on the other side that, you know, these people that are, that do have the power, and that's why you get movements like Occupy Wall Street and, you know, and it's a groundswell and people are like, not even really understanding what Occupy Wall Street stands for. Yeah. Um, or better yet, maybe understanding what o o Occupy Wall Street stands for, but the mission of Occupy Wall Street, not so much being um germane to what wall street is supposed to be and what most of the people that are out there doing actions in wall street stand for i, I know it was you're right it was, it was a lot of feeling and energy but uh, deep understanding was probably lacking so yep I, I think there's one piece we wanted to share here i wanted to thank you real quick about you know you spending time with this audience here today i hope people who are listening to this now and in the future just really really take hold of this great stuff that you've shared <laughs> Right. So at the end of the day, the company value. Right. So we spoke about valuation. Right. We spoke about distribution of stocks. Right. But at the end of the day, the thing you want to drive home is that the company value itself is equal to the amount of shares outstanding times the share price. Right. End of the day, whether we're talking about a public company or we're talking about, you know, a, a private company, if you own your mom and pop store. And you have shares and you've priced your shares and you have a certain amount that's outstanding, that's the value, 
right? And that's the same thing that we're going to have. And that's the same thing that we can think about with a public company. So when someone asks you how much is Apple worth and you hear that Apple is worth, you know, over a trillion dollars, which means that it's worth more than probably, I want to say half of the company, uh, half, half of the countries, more, even more than half of the countries is worth more. I don't have the exact statistics, but I can say that it's worth more than most of the countries that exist in the world. A there's, company. There's no doubt about that. When you think about just between Apple and Facebook and Amazon, the three of them themselves are, you know, if you had to put their their revenue and their valuations against the world, they would be bigger than a lot of nations. No I mean, <laughs> bigger than a lot of nations, I'm going to say, like, they're going to be, you know, in, like, <laughs> you put all three of them together. They're gonna be like in the top twenty. <laughs> gonna, you know, you think you know, just on our on our own. And if you took California as an example out of the United States, right, it would be the fifth largest economy in the world. If yep. you took black people, African Americans, out of the United States, and we all say we lived in another place, we'd be the eighth largest economy on the planet Earth. I mean, so there's definitely some real key things there to think about. This has been awesome, man. I tell you, you, you've obviously kicked us off in a phenomenal way. Um, for those of you who are listening, this is part one of some great conversations about how we can help you kind of drive your wealth and think about what your wealth should look like. You know, I think we got some great conversations that could happen in the future, specifically around some specific things around how does buybacks affect stock prices? How does ETFs affect stocks and that, that kind of thing? And then really linking that, and I know we talked about that here a bit today, but really linking that back to leadership. One of the pillars of what we do here at the WD Consulting Group is around leadership development and understanding that leadership and intelligence are like the two key things that we know that's going to help you become successful in any business endeavor that you're involved in. Um, so it's been phenomenal to have you, Dave. I, I really want you to leave with any parting words for people out there who are saying to themselves, all right, what I understand, I had a great conversation so what's my first step? What's my next step? What, what, what is something you would share with that person? All right. So so when I was in college, uh, a professor would say, if you want to know finance, read the Wall Street Journal. Right. Today, you don't have to like spend a hundred something dollars a week or a month on a subscription for you to read the Wall Street Journal. You can simply go and start reading on companies, right? You can read, everything is available to you. It's right at your fingertips, right? Yahoo Finance, Google Finance, um, go to the particular company's websites and look at them and then use, you know, a Robinhood or whatever, whatever investment platform it is that you want to use. Robinhood is an easy starter, right? If you have money, available on the cash app that's just been sitting there for nothing you can buy a stock with that right buy something that you care about right right buy something that you think is going to appreciate in value right and you'll you'll know to buy small parts of stocks you'll become a little more interested and you may start buying more right now i don't i, I would never advise for you to start buying stocks if you can't pay your rent right I want to advise for you to start buying stocks if you can't feed yourself or the lights are off, right? That's not a wise time for you to start getting in the market. When you do get in the market is when you have some level of stability, right? But you, you also want to be able to budget for it, right? So if budgeting for it says, you know, instead of you eating out, you know, three nights a week, you eat out one night a week. And then at the end of the month, you'll have an extra $100 saved up and you can put that $100 towards purchase, purchasing a stock. That's what you do, right? It, it, it always doesn't take rocket science, right? A lot of times people say, I can't invest. I can't, I, can't, I can't find money to do this, blah, blah, blah. The reason why you can't find money to do things is because you're not necessarily budgeting your money correctly. Um, you can find that people that have very meager means, right? So, you know, you may be living from check to check, but if you're living from check to check, my question always is, is have you really looked at how you're spending your money and have you made sure that you're spending it the best way possible? That's right. Because if you are, yeah. you'll find some ways for you to be able to save some, invest some, and then you'll also be able to enjoy life. Yeah, 
I always have, I've heard this before, and, and thank you for that. Is around giving and you know, giving and serving and and that what I mean by that is that some part of that money should be around giving to something. Um, mm-hmm. And the philosophy you shared about really understanding what's that right amount. You know, if you go out and get something to eat, don't you know. If you do that less, you probably can save fifty dollars per, even if it's just you and, and another person. And then what you'll find is that your own personal capacity and your knowledge about these things continues to grow. And one of the things you said that was so powerful that every single person, and it really chaps my butt when I hear this, is when people say, "Well, I just gotta. I'm investing in stuff just so I can get paid. So I can get paid. You gotta invest in stuff that you have a feeling for." That you had, that has some resonance with you. If you love Apple phones, you should maybe invest in Apple. If you love cars, you should invest in the auto industry. Whatever it is, if you love, um, if you love medical stuff, you should invest in medical stuff. You should really link it to who you are on that level, because then you'll find yourself more connected to it at some point. Um, this has been great, Dave. It's been phenomenal. Everyone who's out there, WD Consulting Group. I put up here a tricky little thing that you can copy and paste if you can. There's just really a way to get more information from us. If you copy and paste that, um, and we'll obviously put that down as an as a active link inside of the show notes, where you'll be able to go in and say, all right, let me. I want to talk to these guys more. I want to learn more about how they can help me or we can help you or back, vice versa. Please feel free to do so because we want to be able to do that with you. Um, this is going to be a great series, Dave. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I appreciate you so much for joining us. Um, and for those of you who are out there, thank you for joining as well. And continue to watch out and check out our channel for more phenomenal conversations. Thank you, brother. Later. Later.